You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. What can be more festive than wearing an ugly Christmas sweater t-shirt? Maybe Festivus, a brass pole, and airing of the grievances. Well, we're not about airing grievances around here because we're all oh, about oh, okay. love and cooperation and That's right. good stuff. So what could be more unifying than wearing one of our ugly Christmas sweater t-shirts? Even if you don't agree with the politics of this party or that party, we have you covered because we have like eight or 10 designs this year. It's crazy. Yeah. And if you're looking for a great talking piece or just you need something to wear and why not get a shirt about history with a historical figure on it, you can head over to electioncollege.com slash Christmas and check out our different Christmas sweater t-shirts, ugly Christmas sweater t-shirts. By the way, they're sold through Amazon and they're eligible for prime shipping. So that's a big selling point for me as someone who uh, can't wait for things. So maybe it is for you as well. So head on over there and check out the different designs that we have. You're going to look awesome this year. Election College, episode number 239. William Seward, part two. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks. But did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, when we last left Seward, he was in a very tight spot, in a, in a spot campaigning for Lincoln. We have no idea what's going to happen. We don't know if Lincoln's going to pull this election out. But he needs Seward's help, and that's exactly what Seward does. He goes to New York City. He gives this great patriotic speech. He goes to a lot of other places, too, and gives speeches. And on Election Day, well, you know it. I know it. Everybody knows it. Lincoln <laughs> carries a lot of those northern states and uh, all this, almost all the states that Seward campaigned in, with the exception of Missouri. Yeah, crazy Missouri. You know, this is really a testament to the fact that Seward was extremely influential because there he was campaigning for him. And you can imagine, he was like, ah, oh, I was so close. I could have been president. <laughs> and I guess he didn't realize that until, well, Lincoln pulls it off. But Lincoln does pull it off. And that changes Seward's role completely because here he does, he becomes the guy who is fighting in a peaceful way, these states that are starting to secede from the Union. And Seward is still seen as the leader of the Republicans, if that makes sense, right? Because you've had that happen in recent times, right? Where there's somebody who gets elected president and somebody in his party is seen as like, well, this is the guy who has the real power. Well, usually that person becomes the secretary of state 
And that's exactly what happens to our buddy, William Seward. So he becomes Secretary of State, very slowly accepting that because weed is still in the whole deal. And uh, this was all because of past comments that Seward has made being such a staunch anti-slavery advocate. Yeah, and Seward continues to try to get states to drop the slavery issue, of course, but and more importantly for him was the task to continue to keep the states together as part of the union. And, you know, the the South is committed to slavery, but he's trying to convince them to not be committed to secession. Well, it turns out uh, that's just not going to happen. They're going to secede, and uh, Seward even, uh, you know, he's part of a couple of compromises, votes against the Crittenden Compromise, but continues to work in that direction to, um, you know, make sure that everybody stays together. Let's all stay together, just to be nice. And so Lincoln, all the t- all this while, he's you know hanging out before he comes to the Capitol. And he's a fan of some of these speeches by Seward, uh, which, you know, he, he gets to read there several days later, of course. But he's like, you know, um, I just can't approve of any of these compromises that might possibly ever lead to slavery expanding in the future. And this kind of comes across a little bit uh, as a dig on Seward, but also, you know, hey, he supports Seward as well. Uh, Lincoln ends up coming to Washington. We've talked before about how he comes in and, you know, kind of in the, comes in in the back door and he's, he's hidden and he's, uh, you know, trying to avoid an assassination plot, of course. And uh, Senator Seward says, I should send my son up to Philadelphia to warn Lincoln uh, about this. And this is how that happens. Lincoln finds out about some of these plots and stuff like that. And he comes in uh, pretty much alone without fanfare, has a couple bodyguards, but Seward and Lincoln get to meet up there at the white house. So there's a little bit of differences that become apparent between Seward and Lincoln when they're getting together there in Washington. And Seward definitely does not like Salmon Chase. Well, maybe it's not that they don't like each other, but, you know, some of the policies might be just a a little different. And Seward is like, you know what? I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be the Secretary of State. I'm going to offer my resignation before the term even begins. And Lincoln, he receives the letter And he's like, I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to listen to this because I can't, quote, afford to let Seward take the first trick. And after the inauguration, Lincoln is like, hey, dude, you're going to stay on. I need you. (laughs) So we all know that shortly after Abraham Lincoln takes office, war breaks out and, you know, Fort Sumter is fired upon and it gets nasty basically but it, there's a lot to say about that time period but the biggest thing that we want to say since this is an episode about seward is that seward is kind of the one that is mostly responsible uh has the most attention focused on making sure that different foreign powers did not interfere and by not interfere i mean that they didn't come in and kick the union's butt um it was pretty well known that they would probably take the side of the confederacy at least 
in large part. Um, there may have been others, but e- either way, they wanted it to to remain a uh, conflict within the union and still try to bring the union back together. Uh, so there's some different laws and maritime laws and stuff like that uh, that they didn't want to get into as well. Um, But it was Seward that made sure that the uh, Civil War stayed between North and South rather than other countries as well. So Lincoln, Seward, I mean, they're political opponents, but then what happens after all of the diplomacy and all of the victories that uh, Seward really did bring to Lincoln it's interesting because, you know, Seward was very disappointed at losing the election to this, quote, little Illinois lawyer. But what ends up happening is Seward sees that Lincoln, he's actually good at this leadership thing. And he deserves our respect and our cooperation. And Lincoln, in turn, sees Seward as somebody to be respected on giving advice. He gets a lot of advice just about how to act around Washington and how uh, to conduct affairs with different countries as well as domestic issues. Yeah, Lincoln really becomes trusting of Seward. He makes a habit of not only letting Seward do his job, but also, you know, giving him advice on etiquette and protocols and stuff like that, because Lincoln isn't very familiar with how to be the president, basically, as far as uh, different traditions and stuff like that would go. So other cabinet members kind of become a little bit resentful of Seward because Seward is always around, even when they're meeting privately with Lincoln. It's not really private because Seward is there and no one is there whenever Seward and Lincoln are just meeting by themselves. So, you know, everybody's kind of interested on why are they so close? Why are they together all the time, basically? Yeah. And despite Abe and Seward being allies now, uh, Mary, she didn't really care for him. As a matter of fact, she told her coachman, uh, don't go by the Seward's house because I just don't <laughs> want to be around that scurrilous bunch. And uh, in spite of that, uh, Willie and Tad, you know, the Lincoln boys, uh, Seward gave them two cats. So that was kind of a nice thing. And Seward accompanied Lincoln to Gettysburg where uh, Lincoln delivered the Gettysburg address. And uh, Lincoln met with Seward a little bit before uh, that um, speech. And Seward was like, you know what? It looks great. And um, Seward also proposed to Lincoln that he proclaim a day of national Thanksgiving. So thanks, buddy. You're probably a part of the reason why we just had Turkey. So things keep trucking along in the administration. And then Lincoln gets re-elected and things keep trucking along in the administration and then comes john wilkes booth and you know you just see him with his little bad guy mustache and you know his limp from jumping off the tower or the, the balcony of, of ford theater uh but basically we we've talked about this in different episodes but booth is really intent on making sure that not only does Lincoln die, but also that Seward dies. And he knows that he is a very um, 
influential guy in the administration. So not only do we want to kill uh, Abraham Lincoln, we also want to kill the vice president. Uh, we also want to kill the guy, you know, President Johnson, Vice President Johnson. Uh, we also want to kill the guy who would take over for both of them, which would be Seward at this point, and just kind of destabilizing the entire country. Uh, and of course, they ended up doing that through just killing Lincoln for a little while. But you know, if you kill the top three guys in the executive branch, you're going to do quite a bit more damage than if you just take out one. So Seward had been hurt uh, on his horse couple days before and there's this guy named powell who was one of the would-be assassins who comes in to the house where seward is staying and he comes in under the guise of giving him some medicine and there's a whole skerfuffle at the door and uh things like that but powell ends up bursting through the door you know throws some people around stuff like that and runs up and jumps onto the bed where seward is laying and stabs him five different times in the face and the neck and they end up uh, getting rid of Powell. He he leaves the house. He flees away. And Seward, they're like pretty certain he just, I mean, he just got stabbed in the face and neck five times, uh, but he lives. And uh, he ends up uh, being able to instruct some people to go uh, lock the house, of course, and go get the police. Um, during the same time, of course, you know, this is when Lincoln was assassinated as well. And then. Uh, the other individual had decided uh, not to go through with the attack on Vice President Johnson. So it's, um, I would imagine that'd be quite the story to tell if you're Seward. Of course, you know, you just got stabbed. Uh, but also the other people in the house to, to be part of that, um, be part of that event would be quite the story to tell, you know, years later. Yeah, so all five of the guys who were injured at the Seward house, they all live. Um, but tragically, um, you can imagine the shock and just utter terror that uh, Frances, you know, Mrs. Seward, experienced. She never recovered uh, from that shock, and she actually died uh, not too long after that. So Seward is still around, and of course he's, you know, got his position in the cabinet still and everything. But when Johnson comes in, he doesn't really work with Seward very much. Of course, Seward is recovering from his injuries and things like that. You know, he's still getting acquainted with how things are going to work after this incident. But Johnson just doesn't really need Seward. Uh, he has his own counsel. He doesn't really take advice of Seward's advice. And maybe this is because he feels intimidated. Maybe it's because uh, he doesn't agree with him on everything. But regardless, Seward tries to still advise Johnson on some things, but Johnson just kind of puts him off to the side. Yeah. So even though uh, Johnson, you know, is ignoring <laughs> Stanton, uh, well, actually is getting rid of Stanton and is ignoring uh, Seward, Seward's doing the job uh, for uh, his position as Secretary of State. And probably the biggest thing that Seward does is getting Alaska from Russia. So uh, you've all heard the term, right? Seward's folly. Well, he brokers this deal where he gets Alaska for $7.2 million. Kind of awesome. So all, all that happens and... 
he's considered to be kind <laughs> of a joke because why would you spend that much money on this huge mass of land that we really don't need? And um, ha ha ha, little do his opponents know that Seward will have a town named after him and Seward's folly is a big joke because <laughs> the joke's on everybody who opposed him. So 1868 comes along and Seward is really hoping that Johnson uh, gets nominated at the Democratic National Convention for the presidency. But the delegates end up choosing Horatio Seymour. He's the uh, New York governor, uh, or had been at one point. Republicans, of course, they're going to choose uh, Ulysses S. Grant. We all know lots about him, and we'll talk about him in more detail in the future. But he doesn't really get along terribly well with Johnson. And uh, Seward gives a big speech on the night of the election and says, hey, Grant is a good guy. Really need to bring him along. He meets with Grant a couple times, and uh, you know a lot of people thought maybe he wanted to stay on as Secretary of State, um, but Grant really has no interest whatsoever in keeping Seward around. So Seward decides, I guess I'll just retire because hey, it's it's time. I I would uh, I would really like to retire. Before he does, he tries to persuade Johnson and everybody else to to go to Grant's swearing in. Uh, and then once Grant is sworn in and stuff like that, Seward's like, okay, I'm out of here, packed up, moved to Auburn. Yeah, so what do you do when you are a former Secretary of State and very influential? You take a trip. And that's what he does. Uh, in his retirement, he travels on the Transcontinental Railroad, which, of course, was pretty new at the time. He is in Salt Lake City in the Utah Territory. He meets Brigham Young. And uh, did you know this? Brigham Young. He worked as a carpenter on the Seward's house. Craziness. Way back when he was young. Um, But anyway, he took a steamer up to Sitka, Alaska, and visited a lot of the wilderness that he had acquired for the United States. He um, travels in Oregon and California heads to Mexico and uh, down to Cuba. Man, he goes everywhere. Uh, Walks on the uh, the wall of China. Yeah. And uh, this guy, he really was quite the international traveler. But only a year later, he's working at his desk in 1872 in October. He complains that he's having trouble breathing. Uh, his family gathers around him and they ask him, Hey, do you have any final words? He says, love one another. And he dies later that afternoon. Um, yeah. Uh, people who attended his funeral uh, included uh, Thurlow Weed and uh, Harriet Tubman. And uh, President Grant couldn't attend, but definitely sent his regrets. So there you have it, William Seward. He uh, was quite the influential guy that we don't really hear too much about, but I hope that this will spawn many a uh, search for more details about his life. Cause he's one of probably one of the most influential players in us history. Yeah. And if you search for him, you probably will not end up finding an ugly Christmas sweater t-shirt with his design on it, but you might find, Oh, eight or 10 other ugly Christmas sweater t-shirts with some historical figures faces on it. And yeah, that would be over at electioncollege.com slash Christmas. We've got 
a bunch of different things for you to choose from. And of course, we're going to keep adding to that as we're able. But if you're looking for a great talking piece to tell people all about your uh, love for history, love for election college, or if you just want to be ironic, let's just face it. That's what ugly Christmas sweaters are for. Go ahead and go over to electioncollege.com slash Christmas. You can pick one of those up. And while you're being ironic, head over to iTunes, because I know some of you don't listen to us on iTunes. It's totally, totally anti-establishment and crazy (laughs) of you to go over to a platform you may or may not use and leave us a rating and review and be really radical and give us five stars. We love interacting with you as well. So head over to your favorite social network and look for Election College. We'll probably be there. And if we're not, you shouldn't be there. (laughs) (laughs) Hope you have an awesome rest of your day. We will see you next time.